It's a great appetizer. I'm thrilled that we have these games on Friday night. I always find it funny, though, is that the Pac-12 can't help themselves. They always take one of their best teams, put them on the road on Friday night, and make it impossible for them. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Friday, September 30th. We are about to put a bow on the first month of the college football season. How do you feel about it? Feel good? I feel pretty good. Some might feel better than others. Yeah, that's right. Kansas is still undefeated. Uh, Notre Dame's 2-2. Two and two. Your thoughts, Coops? Mad? Sorry. Not allowed to talk about that possibility. Nice no, shirt. No, hold on. You can't ask my thoughts and then just yeah, blow nice by it. I'm happy. Yeah, nice shirt. Two. You told me yeah. at the beginning of the year at 2-2. Two and two, I just didn't think we'd lose to Marshall. Fair enough. That would have been Ohio State, maybe North Carolina. But yeah, Matt Brown fair. wants to be us now. I'm ecstatic. That's a good point. That's a fair point. Nice shirt. Uh, nice helmet. Jeez. I mean, I went to Alabama, actually went to Alabama, have a degree from Al- multiple degrees from Alabama, played at Alabama, and only have one piece of Alabama merchandise paraphernalia in the background. You, meanwhile, Lies. have I 17 Notre Dame. I see two footballs and a helmet. You have three. Okay. Well, there's also a jet thing back there, too. So, like, that's fine. Like, I have, I've, that's your fault. I'm equal. I have the state of Kansas, even though the New York mayor doesn't agree, I have the state of Kansas well represented here. Uh, right now, I happen to think that Kansas does have a brand, and that's why I have both a Jayhawk and a Wildcat helmet in the background. We have a great show for you today, just like we do every single Friday. We're going to preview the five biggest games of the weekend. You might not, dis- might not disagree, necessarily agree, by the way, with the five that we chose. We'll explain. There's good reason for why we chose the five that we chose, and we're going to do the five games you don't want to miss. So if you didn't hit the top five games, you probably hit the five games you don't want to miss. So don't worry. Plenty of breakdowns. We might even have a couple bonus games in there for you just because there's too many good ones this week for us to exclusively limit the list to just five games. All right, don't worry. Lots of football to discuss. That's why we're here on Always College Football. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. All right, let's kick things off on the West Coast. All right, Pac-12 football. It's a Friday night festivity too. To me, I love this game. Probably one of my favorite games of the weekend. It's Washington heading to the Rose Bowl to take on the UCLA Bruins. Now, the Bruins and the Huskies have played the easiest schedules so far in the Pac-12. UCLA ranks 128th in strength of schedule, according to the FBI. That's ESPN's FBI. I'm, by the way, I don't use the FBI as like the word of God, but it is kind of interesting when it comes to like strength of record, strength of schedule, what have you. Granted, September, everyone's schedule, strength of schedule is incomplete. But up to this point, UCLA, I don't need an FPI metric to tell you they haven't been challenged. All right. The toughest team they've played so far, South Alabama. Okay. And South Alabama gave them all they wanted, I might add. Meanwhile, Washington, 106th in the FPI as far as strength of schedule is concerned. So do we really know a whole lot about Washington? Yeah, they beat Michigan State. Michigan State might be terrible. We don't know. Uh, I hope they're not, but they might be. At this point, it's still very much up in the air. The Bruins have not defeated an AP-ranked conference opponent since 2019, and they're just 2-6 and six against AP-ranked teams under Chip Kelly, okay? Dorian Thompson-Robinson has started six of those eight games and is finally going to get an opportunity now to get one of those big signature wins that he has been going after. He's actually off to a really nice start this season. He leads the Pac-12 in completion percentage, nearly 75%, and is on pace right now to finish second in the conference and total QBR. He's just under 85 in total QBR, both of which are by far 
the best in his career. So that's excellent, obviously, for DTR here in the early part of the season. We mentioned it. I know it hasn't been against great competition, but either way, he can't control who he's playing against. All he controls is how he's playing, and he's playing really well. He had a couple of touchdowns, by the way, against Colorado. Now he's actually ahead of Cade McNown and is second all-time on UCLA's list in career passing touchdowns. He's only behind Brett Hundley. So it just goes to show you, it's kind of wild. Even though you would think DTR, a little bit more of a runner, maybe a little bit more of a work in progress, probably, probably a little bit underappreciated, frankly, over the course of his career. He's actually probably going to shatter a lot of the UCLA record books by the time it's all said and done. We all know about Washington, what they're capable of. Michael Penix is phenomenal. He leads the NCAA right now in passing yards. He actually could become, if this pace continues, granted that's a big if, if this pace continues and he ends up leading the NCAA at season's end, he will become the first Pac-12 quarterback to lead the country in passing since Ryan Leaf led the country in passing in 1997. It's been a minute since there's been a quarterback at the top of the ranks in regards to passing from the Pac-12. Of course, we know this offense has been phenomenal, number five in total offense. And if you look at where Michael Penix is at, all the great things he's done from a passing standpoint, he also hasn't been sacked this year. So that is also very, very impressive. Love how they've started games as well. 17 of their 20 first half possessions have resulted in scores. And 14 of those 17 possessions have resulted in touchdowns. As far as the Bruins' defense is concerned, they have really done a good job of holding opponents there to scoring points. I mean, they're really not allowing a whole lot. The defense has been pretty good. Second best rate in the Pac-12 behind Utah when it comes to allowing just 23% of their opponents' possessions to end in scores. So right now, that number was uh, 39%. 39 down to 23. They've improved drastically on that side of the ball. Eileen Washington in this game. I just think the fast start's going to be too much. And we talked earlier in the week about UCLA and their lack of depth along the defensive front. I think it's going to potentially come to the forefront in this game. It's tough to pick against the home team on a short week, but I have to. I love how Washington's playing and think they'll be able to create enough of a head start to be able to hold on for dear life as UCLA furiously challenges their in the second half of this football game. Can we also file this one under the don't want to miss since it's a Friday 1030 Eastern kick? <laughs> this is a, uh, hey, get yourself a cup of coffee after dinner because we're going to buckle up and steam right through midnight as we're watching this game. And hey, it's a great appetizer. I'm thrilled that we have these games on Friday night. I always find it funny though, is that the Pac-12 can't help themselves. They always take one of their best teams put them on the road on Friday night and make it impossible for them. Like Washington this year, we've seen Utah fall at the hands of USC on Friday night. We've seen USC fall at the hands of Washington State on Friday night. It's like they always are like, hey man, how can we make it impossible on our contenders? Let's take them and put them on the road on Friday night. <laughs> so hopefully, the, and granted, hey, UCLA is a really good team undefeated. So we're going to find out about UCLA this week too. We just don't know enough about UCLA at the moment. So Hopefully, it'll be a great game on Friday night. It'll set the stage for some Saturday fireworks. Let's get to Alabama and Arkansas, also a game to me that is must-watch this weekend. Alabama is a perfect 15-0 against Arkansas since Nick Saban arrived in Tuscaloosa in 2007. That's the longest winning streak against an SEC opponent 
it's tied for the third longest winning streak, excuse me, because Vanderbilt and a couple others, but tied for the third longest winning streak uh, against any SEC opponent in program history. Arkansas has lost 14 straight games against AP top two teams. They beat top-ranked LSU in triple overtime back in 2007. Remember that LSU team went on to win the national championship with two losses, but Arkansas nearly spoiled their season there at the very end. Let's talk about Alabama's defense against Arkansas's offense. Alabama's been amazing this year on defense. They've allowed just 29 points, 19 of which came, of course, against Texas there, but it's the third fewest points allowed behind Iowa and Minnesota. So Alabama has played very well on the defensive side of the football. It's the fifth time since 1978 that Alabama has allowed fewer than 30 points per uh, 30 points in their first four games, and it won the national championship three of the previous four times. So goes to show you, great defense has often led to championships for the Crimson Tide. They weren't really tested against Louisiana Monroe. They weren't really tested against Vanderbilt. They obviously weren't tested against Utah State, but Texas was pretty good when it came to throwing the ball down the field when Quinn Ewers was healthy in the first quarter of that football game. Xavier Worthy went off, and if that injury hadn't occurred, who knows how things would have unfolded for Alabama. This is a good litmus test to see whether or not that secondary has shored up some of the issues that they had in the early part of the season. And if you look at Arkansas, Arkansas does a great job when it comes to throwing the ball downfield. K.J. Jefferson has actually been more effective throwing the ball downfield than Bryce Young. Among quarterbacks with at least 10 throws that have traveled more than 15 yards downfield, Jefferson has completed an SEC high 58% with four touchdowns. Meanwhile, Bryce Young was actually last in the SEC on throws that travel more than 15 yards leading into last week. He was 31% on those throws, but against Vanderbilt, looked much more like himself. He was four for eight on those throws against Vanderbilt. So maybe that deep ball passing attack for Alabama is starting to come into its own now as they move forward. But if Alabama's secondary hasn't been shored up, they're going to be going against quality wide receivers. Think Arkansas has got a solid group. And KJ Jefferson has proven to be able to take advantage of downfield passing attack in one-on-one situations. As far as Alabama's offense against Arkansas's defense, we know Jameer Gibbs is legit. He's one of five FBS players that has 150 rushing yards and 150 receiving yards. He, of course, has also scored three touchdowns already this year. This week, he's going to be going against an Arkansas defense that has allowed SEC highs in receptions and yards to running backs this year. So for whatever reason, Arkansas has not done a good job of covering running backs in the passing game. Maybe Jameer Gibbs is going to get a big game statistically because of Arkansas's challenges there. We've not really identified a go-to dynamic wide receiver for Alabama. It feels like that moment is coming. Jermaine Burton's going to be sliding to the outside. He's going to live outside. Ja'Cory Brooks had a big game against Vanderbilt. Maybe he now is going to become kind of the alpha dog number two to Jermaine Burton's number one. And then there in the third spot, Trayshawn Holden, probably going to be more of a possession guy. But still, I think at times, especially in the red zone, could emerge. So who's going to be the receiver that emerges at this point for it? Because we know Arkansas's pass defense has struggled this year. It's been documented. AM couldn't do much with it last week. But if you look at what Missouri State did with Jason Shelley, you look at what South Carolina Spencer Rattler did, and you look at what Cincinnati's Ben Bryant did, all three 
had big opportunities to push the ball downfield. I think Alabama wins the game, but this will be a really interesting challenge. Can they play better and play with more composure on the road this time around? Because they did not handle the elements very well when they went to Austin, Texas in week number two. All right, moving next to game number three. It's Oklahoma State and Baylor. It's a rematch at the Big 12 Championship. Who isn't excited about championship quality rematches? Now, the, the sixth ranked matchup between the schools, including twice last year. And when you think about when Baylor has actually played, uh, Baylor's won both matchups when Oklahoma State was ranked in the top 10. So that, I think, is is an interesting subnote. So the better Oklahoma State is, the Baylor the better Baylor has played, all right? But they split the series last year, and I think it'll be a little bit interesting going into this game. Baylor's been one of the best teams in the country at home. They've won nine straight home games, the second longest active streak in the Big 12. Oklahoma State, ironically enough, has the longest active home win streak right now. That win streak currently sits at 11. Actually, the last time Baylor lost at home was to Oklahoma State. That was back in 2020. Let's talk about Oklahoma State's offense against Baylor's defense. That, I think, is where this game will be won and lost. Spencer Sanders currently leads the FBS in total offense, 342 yards per game, and he's played a lot of football. We know he's played a lot of football, and we're going to find out just how far he's come this weekend. We know he can run the ball, almost 1,700 uh, career rushing yards. That's one of the best in school history. And last year, he had 76 yards against Baylor when Oklahoma State won the game. Baylor, meanwhile, 10 sacks this year. What's interesting about Baylor is they don't blitz. They're a team that almost seldom blitzes. They blitz on just 8% of opponents' dropbacks. That's the lowest rate in the FBS. And to think that they have 10 sacks at second most in the Big 12 is pretty interesting. It tells you they're getting their own shot with those guys up front without having to add on by blitzing second-level defenders. You also think, too, Baylor has been very, very good throughout the course of this season. Against BYU, yeah, they lost, but no one's hit more than three yards per carry. And overall, the defense is allowing just over 300 yards per game. So they've been able to create a lot of negative plays and get teams off schedule. As far as Baylor's offense is concerned, Blake Shapin's really good, very efficient, was the MVP of the Big 12 championship game last year. But Richard Reese, I think, is kind of the guy that might be the most important to Baylor moving forward. He has 315 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Both are top five among FBS freshmen. If he can continue on, that's going to be really, really nice. But keep this in mind, too. Here's another note. Oklahoma State has won its last three games outright as an underdog of three points or fewer, which is one win shy of matching the longest streak in the FBS. I like Oklahoma State here. On the road, I like them to end the home dominance for the Baylor Bears. I just think the firepower that they're going to get from Spencer Sanders. And you know he's had seven interceptions against Baylor last year in the two games combined. You know that this has been a high priority for him to play well against maybe the best defense in the Big 12. I like Oklahoma State. I think they send a message. And I think by the end of the weekend, we're going to be talking about Spencer Sanders, just like we were talking last week about Hendon Hooker. We're going to be talking about Spencer Sanders as a guy that's on the short list for the Heisman Trophy. This seems like a sneaky, like top 10 team. Like nobody, because Oklahoma State hasn't played that many great opponents. I mean, we haven't heard from them since they gave up 44 to Central Michigan in week one. Their defense has gotten better. And is this a sneaky, like, hey, just keep winning, keep your eye out and see what Oklahoma State can do week in and week out? 
They're legit. Like, I think they're really good on offense. Really, really good on offense. Defensively, I think there's been a bit of a transition. A lot was made about Jim Knowles going to Ohio State and then incoming Derek Mason. They're trying to keep things the same, philosophically trying to keep things the same. But I think it's it's difficult. Now they've had a couple weeks now to kind of self-evaluate where they're at. They haven't played anybody. I mean, it's as simple as that. You can tell me, well, Oklahoma State, people have been hitting us up. Why aren't you talking more about Oklahoma State? Well, what do you want me to do? Break down the game against Central Michigan? Like we want to go play by play? Like no disrespect. It's just not a game that's going to really move the needle. So now is when things get going for Oklahoma State. And this is going to be a great assessment of where they're at. I think defensively, they have to be better than they were in the first three weeks of the season. But ultimately, the offense uh, and what's been a complete reversion to what Oklahoma State's been in the past. Like They've always been an opportunistic defense, but they were seldom a great defense. The best Oklahoma State teams have always been very opportunistic on defense. Force a lot of turnovers, play great in the red area. That's where they've been great in the past. And their offenses have always been unstoppable. Those are the best Oklahoma State teams. Well, last year it flipped. Great on defense. Sometimes up and down on offense, a little bit unpredictable and a little bit inconsistent. But I think if this team can just iron things out defensively, do a little better job tackling, maybe force a little bit more pressure up front, they could be in really good shape. This is going to be a great indicator of where they're at this weekend because I have a ton of respect for Baylor. We know Baylor's battle-tested considering they've played against quality competition both at Iowa State and against BYU. All right, moving on to the next game, NC State at Clemson. For the first time ever, NC State and Clemson will face off as AP top 10 teams. Believe it or not, this is actually the first time in NC State history will they play in an AP top 10 matchup. That surprised me, by the way. Uh, I know NC State has had, you know, mixed success, but the fact that they'd never played in a top 10 matchup in program history to me shocked me. I just, I just thought for sure at some point or another, that would have happened. They're playing a game as an AP top 10 for the first time since 2002 and just the second time since 1975. The Wolfpack lost to unranked Georgia Tech in 2002 and have not won a game as an AP top 10 team since 1974 against, ironically enough, East Carolina, a team that they played earlier this year. All right, Clemson is obviously a team that is very, very, very accustomed to playing in games like this. This, of course, will be a very interesting one. They're also excellent. At home, if you look at the home win streak that they're on right now, they are one game shy. A victory this weekend means they tie Florida State with the longest home win streak in ACC history. They've won 36 consecutive games in Death Valley. Florida State won 37 from 1995 to 2001. So if they can win this week, it's clearly telling you all you need to know about what they've done at home. The last time they actually lost... And Death Valley was back in 2016 against Pitt. Crazy game. Nathan Peterman was there. Remember Blewett? Chris Blewett, the Pitt kicker. He made the field goal with like a couple seconds left to pull off what was a crazy upset against then number two Clemson. So it's been a while since Clemson's lost at home. And it might be a while till they lose again if DJ Uyunglele continues to play like he's playing. If you look at his performance this year versus last year, it's night and day. 2021 versus 2022. His total QBR in 21, 43. In 2022, 75. His completion percentage in 21, 56%. Up eight points this year. His yards per attempt, eight yards this year, six yards last year. Touchdown interception, nine to 10 in 2021. That's right. Nine touchdowns against 10 interceptions. This year, 
10 touchdowns against just one interception. Big part of it, though, he's not playing quarterback by himself. Big part of it is his offensive line has played pretty good. They've allowed pressure on just 14% of his dropbacks. Last year, they allowed it on nearly one-third, 31% of his dropbacks. So they're doing a much better job of keeping his jersey clean. And I think he's been a lot more confident operating in the pocket because of that offensive line playing at a pretty high level. DJ Uyungle has also been great throwing the ball down the field. He's averaging 9.6 air yards per attempt. That's up a yard and a half from where he was a year ago. And in the win against Wake Forest, he averaged 12 air yards per attempt. You know what that tells me? He's just airing it out downfield, man, making great throws, low percentage throws, making them time and time again. He was 7 of 13 for 226 and three touchdowns on throws that traveled more than 20 yards downfield against Wake Forest. That's amazing to me. And the fact that they're spreading the ball out evenly. If you look at how many guys are involved, I mean, Bo Collins is the leading receiver, but Engada's had moments. You've seen several. Specter's had moments. They're spreading the ball at the tight ends are now very much involved in the offense, which I think is huge for them to continue to develop and become versatile and difficult to defend. Look, Dave Doran and Tony Gibson, the head coach and the defensive coordinator at NC State, traditionally have done a great job on that side of the ball. They're allowing just four yards per play, and they've been really good. Here's the interesting thing. As we just talked about how good DJ Uyunglele has been on throwing the ball down the field. Well, how about this? NC State is allowing opposing teams to complete just one out of 15 passes on 20-plus yards downfield. I just told you DJ went 7 of 13 last week. Well, NC State this year have allowed just one for 15 on throws that travel 20 yards or more downfield. That's 6.7 completion percentage. I didn't do that off the top of my head. I had it written down. 6.7% completion on throws that travel 20 yards or more downfield. That's the best in the FBS this year. Even on intermediate passes, they've been pretty good. So that's something to keep an eye out. An area where Clemson excelled last week, that has been an area of strength for NC State's defense this year. Let's get to NC State's offense. Devin Leary has not been great this year. If we're going to be completely honest, coming into the season, I had really high hopes so far. He's under 50 on the total QBR which is ninth in the ACC and 85th in the FBS. They have not done a great job either when you think about quality of competition that they've played. Look, there's part of the reasons why he's struggling. Right now, he's having to face a decent amount of pressure, right? And he has not been great against pressure up to this point, completing just 29% of his passes with just one touchdown and an interception when opponents are in his face. Last year, he was much better, completed nearly 50% of his passes and had seven touchdowns against just one interception. He played great under duress last year. Hasn't been the case this year. He also really has kind of lived in the pocket more so that this year than he did last year. He spent 17% of his attempts last year were outside the pocket. This year, just 6% of his attempts have been outside the pocket. So maybe they need to move the pocket, adjust the launch angle, simplify the reads for him, and allow him to be athletic when getting outside and challenging the defense in some of those areas. They can take some of the pressure off, though, with the run game. They're going to have to, I think. I know Clemson's great against the run. They're allowing just two and a half yards per carry this year. But you have to figure out a way to get Sima Kongboy an opportunity to get plenty of carries there for NC State. He's emerged as a solid option to running back. He's averaging six and a half yards per carry. And although a, against Texas Tech, it wasn't great. That was the only Power 5 competition he played this year. 
but I think he could take some of the pressure off the passing game and open up some of the play action passing as well. I lean Clemson in this game. I just think Clemson found themselves last week and are feeling uber confident heading into this matchup. And if Devin Leary was playing better, I think NC State would have a really, really good opportunity to pull off the upset. But man, I'm just not loving what I'm seeing right now. And if he's going to be forced to make high-level accuracy throws like Sam Hartman was forced to make last week to keep it close, I have not seen him up to this point this year been able to deliver on throws like that. So I lean Clemson in this game, but I think it could be a really good one that comes down to the wire. A little quick, did you know... McRae, let me ask you, did you know who uh, ended Florida State's ACC winning streak? In 2001? Chuck Amato in North Carolina State walked into Doak Campbell and won 34-28. So, well, that's Bobby Bowser. That's Chuck Amato. That's my guy. It's, that's Bobby there. So uh, understandable that he might have been able to pull off the significant upset. Let's talk about who Clemson played last week in a great game. I think it was a phenomenal game last week. Wake Forest. I actually came away from this game having more respect for Wake Forest than I had maybe even going into the game. They're going to be taking on Florida State. Florida State is ranked for the first time since 2018. That snaps a streak of 69 consecutive weeks in which the Seminoles were outside the top 25, the longest drought since the poll expanded to 25 teams. So it's been a while. But if you look at Florida State, we talked about earlier, the FBI and the strength of schedule and all those other metrics, it's fine. Throw them out the window. They don't matter that much at this point, but Use them when you want to. Florida State, technically, according to the FBI, has the strongest strength of record. That's right. At 4-0, they're ahead of Alabama, who's number two, ahead of Ohio State, who's number three, ahead of Penn State, who's four, and ahead of SC, who's number five. So Florida State, pound your chest, baby. Great start to the season, and you should feel good considering the fact that you're number one right now as far as strength of record is concerned. Looking for their first 5-0 start since 2015. Remember, that was a year when they finished 10-3 and and went to the Peach Bowl. And if you look at the turnaround from where they were last year, they're averaging 14 more points per game than they were last year. Remember, they started 0-4. They're now 4-0. So a complete 180 from where they were a year ago. Scoring 14 more points a game. They're allowing opponents to score 13 points less per game. They have plus three turnover margin as opposed to minus seven last year through four games. And their team QBR, they're sitting at 84 right now. That's how good Jordan Travis has been. He's coming off his first career 300-yard passing game last week against Boston College and has posted an 87 total QBR this year. He's eighth right now currently in the FBS as far as quarterback rating is concerned. The other thing is it's not all him. It's the top rushing attack in the ACC. They lead the conference in both total offense and offensive efficiency as well. That running attack is unbelievable, man. Trey Benson and Treshawn Ward have been a phenomenal one-two punch. They force a lot of missed tackles and they're very difficult to bring down to the ground. If there's one thing we know is that Wake Forest defense, they've missed a lot of tackles. They're actually last currently in the ACC, according to ESPN stats and information, they're last in the ACC as far as missing tackles this year. They're also allowing, Wake Forest is, allowing the opposing quarterback to complete 52% of his passes to wide receivers. That's pretty good. It's a good number. 52% to wide receivers is a pretty good number. And they actually are keeping the ball in front of them for the most part, Wake Forest is, with the exception of last week. But Florida State, if you look at how their receivers have come on, just pick a week, might be a different guy that's stepping up and taking over the game. 
Keep an eye on Johnny Wilson. The guy's off the charts good, man. So, so good. This passing attack is completely different than they've been in years past. Let's talk about Wake's offense. The Seminoles have been doing a really good job of applying pressure to opponents. They're actually getting to the quarterback on 20% of their dropbacks. All right? That is, uh, I think, something that's fairly significant. And if you look at Sam Hartman, when he's not pressured, he will carve you up. But when he is pressured, he becomes a little bit more human, just like every other quarterback in America. We know that Sam Hartman last week had maybe one of the best performances in school history, maybe one of the best performances we've seen all year. I know it was a losing effort, but if you look at the throws he was executing, it was off the charts good. All six passing touchdowns last week came against the Blitz. Florida State's defense, they don't blitz a ton, but when they do, you can expect Sam Hartman to carve them up. So if I'm Florida State, I'm not going to get too aggressive. I'm going to let the game come to me, and I'm not going to try to go attack a quarterback that clearly knows how to answer when you attack him. I lean Florida State in this game. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game, and Florida State has had their fair share of issues going against this style of offense in the past. And that secondary there for Florida State will be challenged because this is a three-headed monster, a wide receiver for Wake Forest that is impossible to defend. But I think Florida State will force a turnover. I think their ability to run the football will shorten the game a little bit. Their commitment to running the football will shorten the game a little bit and could disrupt the rhythm of the Wake Forest passing attack. So I think it's one of the games of the weekend. I love the matchup and I lean Seminoles close. They're in Tallahassee. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, five games you don't want to miss. Let's start with Michigan traveling to Iowa. These teams have split the last 10 meetings. Six of those 10 meetings have actually been decided by one possession. However, Iowa has won three of the last four as an unranked team, all of which were in Iowa City, including knocking off the number two ranked Wolverines back in 2016. And for those that remember that 2016 team, that might have been Jim Harbaugh's best team. They were really even better than last year. I thought they were really, really good that year. You look at where these teams are defensively. That's ultimately where I think this game could come down to. The defensive comparisons are uncanny. Michigan allowing just 11 points a game, 245 yards per game, and allowing just four yards per drop back. Iowa, the fact that they can actually do better than that is pretty impressive. Iowa's allowing less than six points per game. They're allowing 236 yards per game and just 3.8 yards for drop back. Obviously, those are all top 10. In America, it might come down to Michigan's offense going against Iowa's defense. I think that's ultimately where the game will be decided. And if there's one person I trust in this game, it's Blake Corum. 
235 yards in the first three games. Well, he doubled it up last week by going for 243 and a couple touchdowns against Maryland. It was the seventh most yards in the game in program history. And I think that can also be continued. Now, Iowa's great against the run. They are phenomenal against the run. They take great pride in being great against the run. They also generate a ton of pressure on the dropback. So this will be a good opportunity to assess where J.J. McCarthy is in his development. Will he make great decisions? Will he get the ball out of his hands? And when he does have plays open down the field, will he be able to consistently hit them? Iowa's offense, meanwhile, yeah, they've scored 27 points two weeks in a row. You might not know that because you probably were like, what? 27 points the last two games? Uh, I know. My reaction is similar. However, the passing game is yet to eclipse 175 yards. So I don't feel great about where they're at on offense. They're not good on third down. And they haven't really been able to get a whole lot going on the ground as well. So even with the two wins, they're still dead last right now in the total offense in college football. So I know it's been a house of horrors for top five teams going on the road to Iowa. They've won five of six against top five teams outright. Let's go through it. Number four, Penn State last year, beat them. 2017, beat Ohio State. They were number three. They beat them 55-24. It wasn't even close. They did lose to Penn State in 2017. That was 21-19. But they won in 2016 against Michigan, 2010 against Michigan State, and number three, Penn State fell to Iowa in Iowa City back in 2008. I lean Michigan here, though. I just don't think Iowa can generate enough offense to be able to pull off the upset. Let's move to Oxford, Mississippi. Another great game. I think this game could also be a little bit of a defensive struggle as well. Kentucky and Ole Miss will be the first, be the two of five SEC teams to enter October unbeaten, which is pretty impressive. Obviously, the SEC has done a pretty good job in September. Ole Miss, however, has played nobody. Yeah, they played Georgia Tech. Other than that, we're not really sure what to make of them. What I love about this game is the contrast of styles. Ole Miss, one of the fastest teams in America. They snap the ball every 20.8 seconds. That's the fifth, fifth fastest tempo in America. Kentucky, on the other hand, they snap the ball every 31.8 seconds. You know what that means? They're the fourth slowest in America. Fifth fastest with Ole Miss, fourth slowest with Kentucky should be very, very interesting. Ironically, when you think Kentucky, you think run the football. When you think Ole Miss, you probably think throw the football. Not so fast, my friend. Kentucky's reverted really more to an aerial attack. Their offensive line has struggled in the run game. They've also struggled in protection. They have given up 16 sacks this year. That's the most among Power 5 teams, and that's the third most in the FBS. They do welcome back Chris Rodriguez, which is significant and might be important as they move forward because Kentucky's run game has allowed as is rushing for just two and a half yards a carry. Rodriguez, meanwhile, last year averaged over six yards per carry. So him being back from a four-game suspension could be significant. However, Kentucky's really more of a passing attack now because of Will Levis and because of an excellent wide receiver core, including Barry and Brown. Tavion Robinson and Dane Key. These are three really good wideouts. So it'll be interesting to see if Ole Miss can get home in the pass rush and if their secondary can hold up against quality competition on the outside. As far as Ole Miss's offense is concerned, they are really good when it comes to running the football. They lead the SEC and are fourth in the FBS, averaging 280 rushing yards per game. 
They've also rushed for 300 yards in back-to-back games. Kentucky's great on defense against the run, giving up just 108 yards per game, and Ole Miss hasn't really seen anyone quite like this on the defensive front. No one expected Quinshawn Judkins to be amazing. Well, he's second among FBS freshmen with 430 rushing yards and is tied for third among freshmen with five rushing touchdowns. Zach Evans is also a huge piece of this office. Remember, he transferred from TCU. He's been really good as well. He has 365 yards on his own. So Ole Miss and Ohio State, they're the only Power 5 teams with a pair of 300-yard rushers this year. I think this is going to be a phenomenal game. I actually lean Kentucky slightly because I know Kentucky's been battle-tested. I'm not as sure about Ole Miss. Should be an amazing game, but it should be a little bit of a toss-up. If the game were being played in Lexington, I'd feel better about the Wildcats, but the fact that it's in Oxford, I think makes it a whole heck of a lot more difficult. Let's go to Fort Worth, talk about what Oklahoma can do in a bounce-back performance after coming up short last week against Kansas State. Dylan Gabriel's yet to commit a turnover this year. He's been great. However, however, it did feel like last week this offense kind of stopped and started a couple big plays, but not nearly the sustained consistency that I want to see from Dylan Gabriel. I thought he missed a couple layups too. He's got to be a little better this week going against, I think, a pretty decent TCU team. Eric Gray has been pretty good statistically speaking, but I don't feel like he's gotten a ton of looks. I don't feel like he's gotten a ton of touches. Expect this offense to be maybe a little bit more balanced here moving forward as they get into the Big 12 season. TCU quarterback Max Duggan's been awesome. Now he joins both Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel as the only FBS quarterbacks responsible for eight plus touchdowns with an 85 plus QBR and zero turnovers. Now, Duggan only threw a couple passes against Colorado, but he's chopped up both Tarleton State and SMU. Obviously, huge ramp up in competition this week. TCU's moved the ball well, but they've played one of the worst schedules in America up to this point. So we're going to find out exactly where they're at. We're also going to find out where Oklahoma's defense is because if you look at what they did week one through three, looked pretty good. Week four against Kansas State, gave up 509 yards, gave up six yards per play, gave up five and a half yards per carry, and they didn't register a sack. Can they be better this week? We shall find out. Let's move next to Utah. By the way, I lean Oklahoma, but I lean close. I think it's going to be a nail biter in that game. Oregon State at Utah. You all know Oregon State's one of my favorite teams. I love the Beavers, but I don't love them this week. I think they had their heart ripped out last week against USC, turned the ball over four times in the process. And if you're a team that struggles with turnovers, we know Chance Nolan can occasionally be a poor decision maker. Well, he's got six interceptions on the season. That's fourth most in the FBS. And all six have come while facing a blitz. I got news for you. The get right recipe is not against the Utah Utes. Both teams force a bunch of turnovers. They're both tied for 18th in the FBS with eight turnovers forced apiece. But Utah has been a little bit more consistent. They've generated at least one takeaway in each game so far, whereas Oregon State kind of poured it on in two performances. I look at Utah. They've done a great job of outscoring opponents. They've done an even better job against Pac-12 competition. They are plus 232 yards margin per game is seventh in the FBS. And Cam Rising has been off the charts this year. He's one of the best passers in America. And I think there's a chip on his shoulder after how he played against Florida and an opportunity like this to get back in the good graces of America because people feel good about Oregon State and they should. 
I think this is a good opportunity for Cam Rise to kind of show, hey, man, this is still my league. This is still my world that I'm living in here in the Pac-12. He can make a statement, I think, with a consistent win this year, this week. He's got an 84 QBR. It's 13th in the FBS. And I think pushing the ball downfield, he's going to do so without Brent Keithy. He's a great tight end and a really important piece. He's out for the season. Get well soon, Brent. Hate that you have to deal with that. But they still have enough playmakers and weapons on the perimeter that Cam Rising can still excel by pushing the ball down the field. He's got 54% completion rate on throws that travel 20 yards or more downfield. That's second in the Pac-12. And I would expect that to continue because I don't know right now if Oregon State's going to be able to generate enough of a pass rush to disrupt the rhythm of this Utah passing attack. And then finally, let's get to Starkville, where Texas A&M will take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. These teams have split their last 10 meetings since the Aggies joined the SEC. Mississippi State won last year in College Station, but two years ago, A&M won on the road at Mississippi State. Neither team has really generated a whole lot of explosiveness offensively. Aggies actually rank last in the SEC with only 15 plays of 20-plus yards. The Bulldogs have 18 plays for 20-plus yards. That's third fewest in the conference. So you have the third worst and the worst in the SEC as far as creating explosives offensively. Anum has been really good as far as what they can do against the pass. They're allowing just 153 passing yards a game. We know what Mississippi State's all about. They're averaging 351 through the year. That's who Will Rogers is. That's what Mike Leach is. So this is good AM pass defense against good Mississippi State pass offense. Should be really interesting. I think the cat and mouse game that's going to go on between Zach Arnett, who is the defensive coordinator for Mississippi State going against Jimbo Fisher, and then Mike Leach going against DJ Durkin. It's a great coordinator matchup on both sides of the ball. And I can't wait to see exactly how things have gone. AM's gotten a little bit better offensively. Yes, they're down in yards per play since Max Johnson took over, but they're actually up in the fact that they haven't turned the ball over. They're forcing teams to at least go the distance, and their defense has been playing really well so far this year. However, their defense has not been tested like they're going to be tested this weekend. Will Rogers completed 74% of his passes for 14 touchdowns against just five interceptions in his career against AP-ranked opponents. Since the start of 2020, that completion rate against ranked teams is second only to Mac Jones, who completed 77% uh, amongst those quarterbacks with at least five starts. Eileen, Mississippi State here. I think Max Johnson will get harassed by what is a considerable and consistent pass rush. I think they'll do a pretty good job of keeping Devon A. Chain in check, and the loss of Anaya Smith will be felt knowing there will be catch-and-run opportunities that they'll miss out on because their most explosive playmaker weapon is going to be sidelined for the rest of the year. Eileen, Mississippi State, but I think it's going to be close. Should be a great game, but I think the Bulldogs get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. 
And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, great show. Well, hang on a second. Hang on. We have more games. Give me five bonus games you don't want to miss. All right, let's sound the alarms. Let's get fired up. Texas Tech, Kansas State. Look, we all know both these teams are probably reading their press clippings this week, right? This is the maturity bowl between these two teams because you know Texas Tech has been throwing a dang parade all week. You know Kansas State feeling pretty good about what they just did when they went to Norman last week to knock off the Sooners. Look, when you think about Texas Tech, think about where they were a couple weeks ago against NC State. Look, it didn't take... Uh, a genius or a rocket science to realize, man, you can't overcome four turnovers on the road. That ain't going to happen. Well, they did a much better job of that against Texas. Donovan Smith looks like he's starting to really settle in, looked really nice in the performance. Now you're going to be going up against a Kansas State defense that gave up a decent amount of yards and a decent amount of points. For all the great things that Adrian Martinez did last week against Oklahoma, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, They still gave up 330 yards and four scores through the air. So Kansas State's secondary is going to have to shore up a little bit knowing that this is going to be a significant challenge. Look, Smith is a really good quarterback. This Red Raider defense, for the most part, has been pretty good as well, and they've been really good against the run. So when you look at Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, yeah, they're a deadly one-two punch for an offense that is averaging 248 yards a game on the ground. And three wins... They've been really, really good. Came up with 235 rushing yards or more. However, didn't make sense their performance against Tulane. I still am scratching my head about that performance. I lean Kansas State here. I think that they're just a little bit more physical. I think they're going to be able to establish the line of scrimmage a little bit better. And I think Donovan Smith might throw one or two to the other team. Lean Kansas State here. Should be a good game there in the Big 12. And then finally, the Brett Bielema Bowl. Illinois, the Fighting Illini traveling to Madison to take on the Badgers. All right, we know the Illini ground game. They are putting up decent numbers, but we know Chase Brown is really where it all starts and finishes. Their defense as well has been really solid. They actually lead the nation in pass efficiency defense, and they are dominating currently Illinois is the time of possession battle. They want to run the ball. They want to win the turnover battle. They want to pound away and they want to challenge your physicality. Well, guess what? That's what Wisconsin's done forever. All right. So when you look at 
what Wisconsin did last week, it's easy to feel bad about what they did against Ohio State. But Ohio State's going to put points like that and yards like that up against just about everybody. All right. I know it's maybe not the soul crushing offense that they used to have where they just pound you into submission with their downhill rushing attack. But we know Braylon Allen's still special. And Graham Mertz, if he gets hot, he's capable of doing an awful lot. Look, I don't want to look at last week. I want to look at this week. I think these teams match up pretty well. I lean Illinois to keep it really close, but I think ultimately Wisconsin gets the win. I think like 21-17 in that vicinity. That's about where I lean, but it should be an awesome matchup in the Bielum Bowl as he travels back to Wisconsin, a place where he won an awful lot of games a little more than a decade ago. Hey, thanks for being with us. It's been an awesome show today. Diving into all these games, hitting all these matchups. That's what it's all about, man. The games and the matchups. I just love it. Can't get enough of it. And we appreciate you being with us for it. Hit us up on our social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and Twitter. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Jack Foster, a shout out as well. He's with us every step of the way. We appreciate you, Jack. For all of us here at Always College Football, we appreciate you being with us. Like, rate, and subscribe. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.